Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. Hey, Vet Church, how y'all doing? So, I'm sitting here with uh, Doc Williams and Chris Farrell. Hey, how's everybody doing? <laughs> and um, we're here to have another Vet Church interview, a conversation. And uh, you were in the Air Force? I was. So, what did you do? Uh, I was explosive ordnance disposal. So, in layman's term, uh, you know, in the easier civilian term, uh, I was a bomb tech. So, I disarmed roadside bombs, uh, other explosive devices. That's cool. So I spent 13 years, six months, 20 days doing that. Not that's, that I was that's counting. That's a long time. Yeah. So, the, the movie Hurt Locker. I hate it. <laughs> I it's hate kind it. of nonsense, isn't My it? My brother did, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, just kind of told people that we just do what we want and then go off base and kidnap people, I guess. <laughs> You know, um, but you know, Hollywood has to do what Hollywood has to do, and uh, the good thing about it was it gave exposure to the community, you know, yeah, even yeah. though it was Hollywood exposure, it was still exposure. Her, her brother was EOD for a long time, okay. And, um, so there's, there's like, yeah, there's a special uh, place in my heart. Um, I did some uh, suicide awareness classes yeah. for the guys at Fort Campbell, yeah, and and I and and because of her because of her brother and that experience with the your group it's a very unique group it is it is so it's uh it's the only uh, community in the four branches that all of us have to go through the same school together enlisted. yep yep and we're we all wear the same badge yeah so that's what uh everybody goes to the school for and it's a navy run school it's a nav school yeah. eod on an Air Force installation. Well, and the funny thing is, so, her brother was down there at Eglin yeah. before he moved over to something else. Yep. Because you can only do that for so long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can. I can definitely see that. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, he was down there, and I, I was thinking like the Army Red or whatever, right? Yeah. And he's like, no, he's like, I gotta answer this Navy guy. <laughs> and it's always funny seeing, uh, you know, you had different branches trying to learn each other's ranks mm-hmm. you know so uh, you know you have young I was an instructor there for four years as well so you would have you know army privates coming straight out of their um, their prep course uh, out of Fort Lee so they have their uh, preparatory course or in-doc um, prior to coming to Eglin mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the Air Force does at Shepard and they would show up and they're just staring at you and they don't know what to call you you know and I was a tech sergeant so they're like, I don't know what that means. And I was like, well, I'm an E6. And they're like, okay, Staff Sergeant. I was like, no, that's an E5. But their E6s are Staff Sergeant. So they just stare at me, and they're like, I don't know what to say, Sergeant. Yeah. So I was like, just leave it at that. I was like, there you'll be go. good. So. Well, it, um, you did it for 13 years. I did. I was medically retired after 13 and a half years. Medical, what happened to you? You look fine to me. Yep. So um, I've been blown up three times. Uh, I was deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq in 2005, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, and 13. Um, and uh, I was in Iraq in 2008. So I, uh, over the course of those deployments, I was blown up three times, once in a vehicle, twice dismounted. 
Um, both explosions dismounted were from within, uh, one was within five feet, one was within 10 feet. Right, you had a big bomb suit on when that happened? Nope. Or? Nope. We were on a, we were on a hit. Um, we were on patrol. So, um, both of them ended up killing my teammates. We're actually coming up December 15th, uh, will be, uh, anniversary of, uh, Tony Campbell. Um, that was the biggest one that hit me. He was about five feet from me. Um, we were on a uh, direct action and um, uh, clearing out this uh, this IED facilitator's uh, compound, you know, in the middle of the night. And um, Tony ended up stepping on uh, an IED, uh, chopped him in half, tossed us, uh, myself and Vic, about 15 feet. Um, you know, knocked out for I would say a couple seconds. Don't really remember. You have a traumatic brain injury? I do. I have uh, 26 dead spots on my brain. Uh, they actually, I was just, uh, uh, they just found a tumor also on my pituitary stock, and my stock is offset from uh, the blast. I also have uh, nerve damage on the left side of my body, so I lose feeling a lot. Um, my C2 through C8, T11, T12, and L4 through S1 are all fractured from the explosions. Um, so, you know, it's uh So why aren't you home sitting in bed, eating bonbons, having the wife bring you coffee, <laughs> playing video games? First off, she would never <laughs> let that happen. <laughs> she she so we've been together since we were seventeen years old. So we are it's been eighteen years now, almost nineteen years that we've been together. Um, three kids and uh she she would never let that happen. Uh nor should she. Um so I have a lot of very good friends of mine that they, they do that, you know. They, uh, once they were medically retired, separated, uh, post-injury, post-military, you know, they're like, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I have, a, I have three children. I have an 11-year-old daughter named Piper, a 6-year-old son, uh, Maximus, happy birthday, son. Today is his birthday. Um, and a 3-year-old son uh, named Titan. And I'm 34. Yeah, I'm retired. Theoretically, my wife and I and my family, we could live just comfortably on what um, we collect with retirement and disability and stuff like that. We could live just fine. You know, you, you lose niceties, not necessities when you when you decide to live a certain lifestyle. Um, but with the age that I'm at and three young children. But first off, I have to work for my own mental capacity. Second off, as a 34-year-old father and husband, what is it that I teach my kids? You know, they go to school all day, and what am I teaching them that I just sit at home? You know, when they look at me and they're like, well, Dad, why aren't you working? You know, what, what do I teach them about drive, you know, for the remainder of their life? If you could, were to just yeah. sit around. Could I be retired? Absolutely. Could I sit there and wallow in my own self-pity? Absolutely. But me sitting there, you know, you get into that space between your ears and you get stuck there. If you have nothing to occupy that space, that's the only place that you live in. That's, that's really well put. <laughs> it's true because, I mean, like, I remember when I was sitting at home and I was taking so much medication and it was for pain because they yeah. would say to me, 
how do you feel on a scale of one to ten? How do you feel? Like the scale, like who made up this scale? Yeah. And if you were honest, well, they said we'll take some of this. Yeah. And then, and then one day, a doctor came to me and said, "I think you know, I don't care how much pain you're in. You keep messing with these pills, you're gonna die." And I'm like, "Well, you guys gave them to me." And he's like, "Now I want to help you get off." Yeah. And and I'm I'm so glad I did because I'm alive still. Let's get you addicted to it so we can get you off of it. Right. Yeah. Well, there's this plant that God created to help me get off. <laughs> that is that is a fact. That is an absolute fact. Um, so what do you, what do you do for work now? So I am a uh, I'm a once I retired I took a federal job uh, here at Cannon. I actually retired out of DC. That's the name of Air Force Base here. Cannon. It is Cannon Air Force Base. It's an Air Force Special Operations Base. Um, so it was fairly easy for me to slide into it with my background and resume and stuff like that. Uh, but I am a uh, bombing range inspector now. So I, the type of installation that we have is extremely unique because uh, we support special operations not only within the Air Force but within all four services as well as uh, our foreign brothers and sisters. And Special we're, operations we're teams. We're in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, like, I drove for hours yesterday without... I remember at one point I said, Kate, hey, I'm going to have to take. Can you look on the map and see when the next <laughs> gas station is yes, going to be? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And then at that gas station, there was, they were doing, like, fried chicken and stuff. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I, you know, well, you gas station. When you live on the road, you start realizing. That's and right. And then we drove, and there was nothing. Yeah. We should have ate at the gas station. <laughs> it, was, good. it probably was. Yeah. It was because you guys came in from Colorado Springs, right? Yeah. yeah. So you'd have been coming south. Once you start seeing allsips in this area, that's where you need to stop and get some food. Allsips? Allsips. Because they're, so I used to work at the allsips right outside this base. Really? I was 18 and years all old. Allsips is a gas station? Or? It is. It's a chain here. It's not kind of like a 7-Eleven, Circle K's, things like okay. that. Here in the southwest, allsips is, allsips is king. So did you, you grew up here? I did not grow up here. So funny story, I was, I grew up in Louisiana. I was a Navy brat. You know, okay. my dad was in the Navy. He was a mineman in the Navy. So he built underwater mines. And So you, you know, just jumped right into this stuff. Yeah. He built them. I decided I was going to disarm them. But it wasn't even my, it wasn't even my initial choice. You know, we got out here. Um, we're, my wife and I met in Louisiana um, in high school. So we had a lot of mutual friends, you know, we knew of each other. We never dated or anything like that until uh, the summer of my junior and senior year, uh, our junior and senior year. And it actually started off as um, one of our mutual friends, Dustin, was like, hey, Chris, I, uh, I know somebody that you can't date. You know, I'm 17 year old me. And I was like, no such thing, you know. And because at that age, you know, as a young teenager, you have this, you know, a giant head filled with "I'm the man." You and chutzpah. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was quarterback of our football team. I was, you know, I, I was. To me, I was the dude. Like I was the dude. You know, and my wife always says she's like, "Oh, Mr. Homecoming King," and all this stuff. So, you know, I was like. When he told me that, I was like, who? And he was like, Lauren. I was like, really? And I never even looked at her that way. You know? And then I looked at her and I was like, okay. 
So I went to go talk to her, and it was immediately shut down. She's like, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? <laughs> and I was like, I'm oh. going to have to marry her. <laughs> and it took a solid month and some change to even get her to want to start talking to me. So, you know, fast forward, we started dating, and then, you know, we dated for over three years before we got married. Um, you know, we lived together and everything, but my parents went through a, a pretty bad divorce after I graduated high school. So you were feeling some of the cautionary, yeah. like, well, I don't know. Type. Well, it's like, you know, when it all happened with my mom and my dad, Lauren and I, you know, uh, my in-laws were, Air, my father-in-law was Air Force. He's a retired 30-year chief. And so him and my mother-in-law and brother-in-law got orders out here from Barksdale to Cannon. So Lauren, she had a, you know, she was supposed to go down to LSU in Baton Rouge, but she decided to stay and go to school at LSU in Shreveport because, you know, I thought I was going to always just be able to get away with my athletic ability. Well, apparently you have to have good grades too. So you don't get scholarships to big D1 schools on, you know, mediocre grades also, unless you're just this ridiculous stud athlete, you know. I thought I was this ridiculous stud athlete. However, I was also 140 pounds. Well, that, that kind of so, like you in, know, the, in the NFL, 140 pounds. Yeah, you know, and I was a, <laughs> I loved football more, but I was a better baseball player. Yeah. And so that's what I was going to go to college for. So I ended up at the junior college right there at uh, in my hometown. So Lauren decided to stay. You know, mind you, that doesn't make you know future mother-in-law and father-in-law super happy, especially mother-in-law. You know, because it's her daughter, you know, oh, who yeah. is, you know, National Honor Society, you know, great soccer player, great softball player. And she is putting her life not necessarily on hold, but at a stalled moment in time to be with me, to stay with me. Man, so I'm married, man. I, I yeah. Got, I caught the mother-in-law look at the beginning, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, and I had cubic zirconia earrings in and you know not the type of not the type of uh kid that you know you're just like i want you to be with him oh yeah <laughs> you know um i was a good kid though i really was and i just you know she stayed around for me so fast forward to my parents getting their divorce you know uh with college baseball i was like you know what i'm done i was so burnt out from playing so much baseball and when stuff started going on with my parents, I was like, I'm done. So um, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, when all that happened, were like, you guys can come out here if you want to. Chris is welcome too. So that that's, was a huge step, not only in my relationship with Lauren, but also in my relationship with my you know, soon-to-be uh, in-laws. And, um, you know, it's never, it's not a, it's not an easy thing. It's tumultuous, you know, uh, as every relationship is, um, within in-laws with new son-in-laws or people trying to become son-in-laws. Um, you know, so there's, there's these big shoes to fill, I, I do know. you know, <laughs> I do know. and, um, and I love them. I mean, I, I really do. They have been absolutely wonderful to me, especially with all the things that have gone on, um, throughout our lives together, you know, almost two decades now. So we move out here to Clovis. We pack up Lauren's little Nissan Sentra. We called it Q-Tip. It was a little white Nissan Sentra. Packed up my entire life and her life into this little bitty car 
and drove across the state of Texas over to here. Which is a drive. It's a pretty good drive. It's a pretty, it's a pretty rough, boring drive when you, when you come across. And uh, so we get here, and I immediately start working because, you know, I've, I'd started working when I was 15 years old because in a Filipino household, you know, everybody pulls their own weight. And me as a kid growing up, you know, I always wanted to be able to help my parents and my family. And, um, you know, sometimes it's been a good thing for me on how I am with stuff like that. And sometimes it's been a bad thing, you know, because sometimes people take advantage of you. And uh, from the time I was 15, I never asked for a dime from my parents again. You know. Say that again, because there's a lot of people that don't have any concept of that. Yeah. From the time I was 15 years old, I never asked for another dime. I paid for all my own stuff. Um, I helped pay electric bill, water bill, all that At stuff. At 15, Even, you were helping like with a family budget. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they raised me already. They've been raising me. They gave me a roof over my head, food in my mouth. So what? I'm working. That money's not really my money. It's our money. You know? Um, because all money is, is is an object. Yeah, you have to have it. You're doing this but... with your kids, too? Yeah. <laughs> Giving them these values anyway? Yeah. I mean... I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things. Everybody gets so hung up on how much do I have in my pocketbook, not how much can I, you know, things that I do help other people. You know, it's all about, especially now, everybody's about what possessions can I have. You know, oh, my friend's got that brand new truck. I need to have one better. I need to have the same. Do you? Do you really need that? Or are there other people that could use your help that you're about to spend on that thing? No, it's, you know? it's, it's, it's real interesting that you say that because as I drive around the nation, I see people just wasting money. Yeah. You know, it's like um, I talked to Carl Monger from the Gallant Few. An incredible organization. He was a ranger and started this thing. And it started with other rangers, and then it branched out to help everybody now. Yeah. Air Force, Marines. I mean, they've got all kinds of different yeah. venues. And, and everybody, not just combat arms, but combat support, too. They, mm-hmm. They've really branched out. And he said to me, he said, you know, sometimes people call up and they'll say things like, I need help. And, and so, you know, they investigate who they are. Yeah. There's a questionnaire to fill out. Absolutely. And they realize, well, hey, man, maybe you don't need a $900 truck payment. <laughs> and by the way, those $300 tickets when you went to see Beyonce, um, that's really <laughs> good. She's a great artist and can lift you up. But you have a house that you need to pay for first. And Fact. you have children that you need to help. And it's, in the, it's what we're talking about is a lifestyle change. Yes, Absolutely. And and the, and you, it sounds like your parents gave you that lifestyle change yeah, early on. See, my dad, my dad was such a, a such a great provider for our family. My mom was the matriarch, you know. And I mean, you could you could ask my even my dad. You know, they're divorced. I mean, they're still friends. You know, they still talk all the time. But um, my mom raised us, you know. And after the divorce, it got it got really rough. You know, my mom uh, married someone new. Um, it's who she left my dad for. And that has been a very rough go of it, you know, over the years. But it was hard on you, too. It was, you know, because my mom and I were best friends. Like, we couldn't separate us. And then when all that stuff happened, we drifted. And I went almost a couple of years without even talking to my mom, who was my best friend for my entire and life. And you talk to her now? I do. It's still not anywhere where we used to be because we still have rough times in our relationship. You know, um, I struggle with things with her because she changed. You know, she wasn't, she wasn't 
my mom that I had, she became this new person to um, pander, I guess, for a lack of a better term, to her new husband, her new life. Um, so things change, you know, and it put us down a weird road because, yeah, before that, we were legitimately like the Brady Bunch. Like, like to us, super tight. Yeah, to us as children, you know, we didn't know anything going on between my parents. You know, they had had a rough relationship, which ended up leading to the divorce. But we as kids never saw that. They were so good about keeping their business between each other, their business between each other. They didn't let it affect the family life. So, you know, my entire life. And then I, I started thinking when it all happened, I was like, was my childhood a lie? But it wasn't, you know. And the older I've gotten, the more I realized it because I was extremely salty about it. I was hurt, betrayed. You know, I was like, did we just live this lie? But it wasn't that, you know, my, my parents did it to make sure we had the right kind of lifestyle, you know, that we were able to be happy in school and be able to focus on school instead of as children. Children shouldn't be focusing on what's going on with their parents, you know. It's like, what do I need to do to help fix that with my parents? You know, my 11-year-old, you know, she's 11 going on 50. You know, she's been through all of this stuff that's with me, and I am so regretful over it she's grown up well she's grown up so fast she's had to because she watched the rise and fall of me what do you mean by that so you know you come in you know i'm 19 years old and coming to the military yep and i want to change lives you know um when i came in i wanted to save lives and take lives for our country to help others and um, you, know, you come in all starry-eyed and stuff as a 19-year-old kid. And, but when your first major incident happens and you're in this point now that you're trying to figure out what is it that I do? Because you know, there's a gut check time at that. And I don't know what Doc's doing right here, but I don't either, he's, eating, weird. he's eating something in the air. <laughs> but he, uh, he might want some water, Kate. Here you go, Bubby. But you know, you sit there and sorry, sorry, uh, oh no, no, me too, because he was just kind of licking, like, he's just kind of licking the air. But um, I wanted to, uh, you know, we were seniors in high school when nine eleven happened. Lauren and I were in first period. We were both in ROTC, and you know everything stops, and we're at a military, you know, military town. So we're looking at the TV and we're seeing the towers come down, you know. And I knew then I was gonna, I was gonna do something. I didn't know what yet. Um, my father-in-law is the one that actually talked me into it after we moved here because he was like, what are you going to do with your life? You know, him and I were just sitting down and I was like, what do you mean, Wendell? And he was like, you plan on marrying my daughter, right? I was like, I do. He's like, well, you're not going to make a living playing baseball. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. So, you know, as a young 18 year old, that's a, that's a pretty rough thing when the only thing I ever wanted to do would be a pro baseball player. And uh, so we sat down and he talked to me about the military. He talked to me about the Air Force. And I was like, I'm not a punk. No, I'm not going to be in the Air Force. It's like, I'm not going to do that. That's, that was dumb. But then he sat down and he talked with me. And he was like, Chris, there's jobs in the Air Force that are not, you know, your desk jobs. And he was a logistics guy, retired as a supply guy. You know, he ran convoys in Iraq and the invasion and everything like that. You know, so um, we sat down and talked about it. And I actually didn't even consult with Lauren. I went straight to the recruiter's office, and I'm a very um, 
uh, come on, brain, fire off. Um, Spontaneous? Uh, it's not probably not the right. That's like that's like a good version of it. Oh, <laughs> um, spontaneous. I think would be the good version of it. Um, sporadic. No, I'm a little sporadic too. It'll that that word will come to me. Um, but like I, I jumped right into it. Like I didn't think overly uh, think about it, and I was like, "Yep, that's what I'm gonna go do." So I went to the uh, recruiter's office, sat down with this guy. God, he was an idiot. I hated him. Uh, Harmilio. That's what his name was. I hated him. So I sat down in his office with but him. But he got you here. He did. But <laughs> sometimes the people he actually hate. he was a huge motivation factor for me. Really? Yes. So I sat down in his office and I actually came in to be combat control. Um, or pararescue. I was like, that's what I want to do. And then so we did my pass test. You know, I'm eighteen years old, so pass test was easy for me, you know. I was in really good shape. And um but then we started doing the uh, medical portion of it, eye exams, things like that, and I failed my eye exam. So to come into those communities, you have to have 2070 correctable to 2020. Mine was 2200, both eyes. Like I couldn't even read on your shirt from right here. So he it said- It seems like you got no problem now. Right? Yep, yep, I've had uh, PRK done. Okay. Um, so I have perfect vision right now. I you know, was into my late 20s before that even happened. Um, but then he was like, well, you can't do those jobs. I was like, well, I'm not sitting behind a desk. He's like, well, you can do EOD. And I was like, I don't know what that is. He's like, well, you disarm bombs. I was like, let me get this straight. So you're going to tell me that I can't do pararescue or combat control with bad eyesight, but I'm allowed to disarm bombs with bad eyesight. He's like, yeah. I was like, sign me up. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, man, you're in. <laughs> so I went home. And Lauren was, and that was actually right here on Cannon because my in-laws moved. moved. This is after you had moved. Mm -hmm. This is after we moved here. And we were all staying in this, in base housing. I mean, we had like 11 of us staying in base housing. So like Lauren and I slept in the living room on the floor on a pallet that we would make. You know, that's, that's, how, we, that's how we slept. So, you know, uh, my father-in-law and mother-in-law were awesome. They had us there. They had my ex-brother-in-law who's a douchebag. Um... My sister-in-law is so much better off now, but from that douchebag, she got two wonderful children, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so they had him, my sister-in-law, my niece at the time, and then my nephew came shortly following after. My current brother-in-law, who's a paramedic here in town, which is the reason we moved out here, and then my other brother-in-law, who lives in Las Vegas, and then my mother and father-in-law. All in, like, all in like a 14, 1500 square foot house. So, and people say, We ain't got enough room. I'm oh, buy yeah. a second home. Oh, you can make absolutely, you, you can absolutely make any room that you can. So, I go home. You can, you can do this. Yep. I go home and I was like, Hey, Lauren, I joined the Air Force. Never consulted her. Ooh, boy. And she's like, What? And I was like, Yeah. And then I kind of broke it down to her. I was like, You know, if we're going to live our life together, I have to do something. So I ended up uh, on the yeah, delayed. House for your future. Yes. Son-in-law. <laughs> absolutely. A living room for him. <laughs> that is an absolute fact. So we, uh, you know, I, I end up on the delayed enlistment program because the, uh, it's a volunteer school, you know. So you have to wait for time to open up throughout the pipeline before you so can even go somebody. through. Yep. yep. So, with the war kicking off the way it was, um, I had to wait 
and uh, I ended up leaving for basic training in, uh, I ended up graduating August, or I'm sorry, September. I got there in August, left in September, so San Antonio in the middle of the summertime was disgusting. Um, but, you know, uh, did all that, and then uh, ended up at EOD school, and I had to wait um, for EOD school. What do you got? Okay, this is twice. <laughs> You've done this. I've shared it to Vet Church, but Greg, that guy who does action radio, he has it all live on it. Well, so now we're, we're not. It is what it is. Nope. We're I'm not. Just wanted to make sure with Chris. Okay. No, that's okay. you're fine. Okay, so it's on Matt Williams and Vet Church. Okay, well, there, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> okay. All right. It's all good. Technicalities. Well, there's been a lot going on this morning. Oh, yeah. It's all good. Um, so. so I leave, uh, you know, I uh, go through my indoctrination course, which is right there at Medina. It's uh, an offset location, you know, pararescues there, combat control. Um, so it's the training squadron out there. So we're all out there. And then so I graduate my indoctrination course, but there's not a school slot open yet. So I end up there for almost three months waiting for a slot at Eglin. Get to Eglin, and then I start uh, full-blown EOD school. So Go. In, in between now is mm-hmm. when you were working like that, the time when you list. That's when you were working at the gas station. Oh, yeah. Food. Yeah, so when I was waiting on the, de- yeah, when the, I was on the delayed enlistment program, I felt like if I was at my in-law's house too long of a time, I was freeloading. So I worked at the Allsup's. I worked at JCPenney's. Dillard's. I worked at Walmart overnight, uh, and I worked at the Wendy's. That's there in town. And were you? Were you I worked contrib- at all of them. As you were in their house, were you contributing to their budget too? Yeah, I mean, I would sit there. Well, I didn't need to with them, but um, I would do you know the yard work and help clean and stuff like that. And so I was just like, part I, of if it. I was in the house too long, I felt weird because they were giving me a place to stay. You know, when I, you know, my family life collapsed at home. So I felt the least that I could do is, you know, not be in the house freeloading. Yeah. So I worked a lot. And, um, it, you know, it's hard now for some veterans after whatever happened, especially for the medically retired community, mm-hmm. which you and I are both part of, yep. to not just sit around in the house. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very... I can see how it's an extremely easy thing to fall into that that kind of rut, um, because you know, especially if you don't like people to begin with, you know, you don't want to be exposed to them. You don't you don't want to be around them because in in general state of things, people are stupid, you know, myself included. Oh yeah, me too. And I'm with you, <laughs> it didn't bother me at all. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just like you know. Uh, the things that I struggle with with society and why I understand, you know, I've got great friends of mine, you know, amputees and non-amputees alike, that they just stay at home. You know, they don't want anything to do with the outside world. Um, society as a whole sucks. Well, I th- it, it I sucks. Think, I think there's a danger just because if you focus on that which does suck, you miss that which is cool. That is a fact. I mean, like, the drive from Colorado Springs to here. In an appearance, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. But in that nothing, there's a lot of beauty. Yeah, think about five, six hundred years ago, it was the exact same landscape of nothingness that our ancestors were 
walking those same paths. Well, and, and like I remember, it, we stopped in the middle of the road and took pictures of turkeys that were walking across the road. Mm, delicious. Because some guy I know, like, <laughs> some guy has a house out there in the middle of somewhere. Yep. And there must have been sixty or seventy turkeys walking around oh. all over the place. How far was that from here? <laughs> turkey season's coming up. You and your son need to go check that. Yeah, out. turkey season's coming up. I think it was just below Raton. <laughs> gotta get a, gotta get a uh, permit to hunt on that guy's property. <laughs> well, and, and well, some of them were just on the streets. Oh, yeah, they were right in the middle of the road. Well, right? then you oh. just then you just accidentally. <laughs> I had to slow down to maybe. stop from having a rather large turkey <laughs> go right through the front of your vehicle. Yeah, yeah. those things are fat too. Oh, They're they fat. Well, it just but if you stay at home, you miss that. You do. I mean, and that's the reason why I decided, you know, because Lauren and I talked about it. I mean, I theoretically, I could have, and my care manager, my case manager, all of them were like, Chris, you know, you can file for SSDI. Mm-hmm. Like, you completely qualify. You're a Purple Heart recipient. You're 100% disabled. You know, you qualify for it. Now, for me, there is a difference between living and existing. And I'm telling you, when I took the SSDI, Matt Williams took it. I barely existed. Yeah. Not just existing. Barely. If you go back for the three years there, you talk about my mother-in-law. Mm. We had a big party one time. And in front of everybody, I yelled at my mother-in-law. Mm. I, I came back and just as publicly asked for her forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. But it took a minute or two to even realize what I'd done because yeah. I wasn't even alive. Yeah. But you just you talk about stupidity. Like, checking out like that. Yep. Is a, and check, think about it for a minute. Like you've been trained, you've given your part of your life to the country, and not only a part of your life, but your body. I mean, you're wearing hearing aids at 34. Yeah, that's awesome. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, do they hook up to your phone at least? They can. Yeah. And my wife had a puck that she could talk into. Yeah. What? Yeah, but I have to wear the other part of it. Oh. oh. So. It's like a. a it's super creepy. Like, Absolutely not. Every wife, every wife in vet church land, that everything else is like, I want one of those because he's not listening. Yeah. <laughs> I need some milk. Some yeah, milk. Well, yeah. It's, you know, and it's not just wives; it's the other side too. We have the women who went out there and got hurt. Yes, and they're wearing hearing aids too. Yep. I mean, it's not just. I mean, we live in. A, I was talking with a veteran last weekend who wasn't around for the integration. Yeah, and, and how we. I mean, it's a different world out there for us. It is. I mean, so whenever I uh, do any kind of public speaking uh, stuff, you know, uh, the Air Force has had me do it um, for a long time uh, post-injury. And I just came back from California and spoke out there at Edwards. And it was actually right after the first time I met y'all. I literally flew from Richmond to Los Angeles. Really? That next morning. That's cool. And then flew out there and spoke. Um but it's like, you know, when when you go and do things like that, you know, sometimes it's therapeutic for you because I, throughout all the therapies that I've been through um, afterwards, it's supposed to help. You know, it doesn't always help. That's true. Know, the desired effect isn't always hit. You, you go into some really deep, dark ruts. And, you know, so I left on... Um, so my wife and I just, we, I, I, had a, I had a pretty good breakdown about, uh, about three weeks ago. So when was Halloween? Because it was Halloween night. Got off work, came home, and, you know, and I told Lauren, I was like, uh, just, you know, just recently, 
uh, told her we sat down in the kitchen and talked about it. It's just chain of events, and then I had a full breakdown to her. But for like the last four since since July, um, I had a plan for, and my kids and Lauren have a letter uh, in my desk drawer at work that I'd written two months ago. Because December 15th will be Tony's anniversary. I had planned on ending my life on December 15th this year. I didn't plan on seeing my 35th birthday. I'm glad you're not. Even when I met y'all. Yeah. So the night that I left. So it's Halloween night. Um, kids are in bed. Lauren's laying down on the couch because I was waiting for the shuttle to take me to uh, Lubbock to fly out to come to y'all. Yeah. Went into the bedroom. Lauren's sleeping Kids are sleeping. I took my Gen 5 out of my safe, sat down on the floor, dropped the magazine out of it, emptied the round out of it, put my pistol in my mouth, and pulled the trigger to see if I could even do it, even without a mag in. I did. I put my mag back in, racked around, and then Maximus woke up. He had a night terror. He has a lot of night terrors. Took my pistol, put it back in the safe, walked into the room and got Max back to sleep. Then finished packing my bags and then made my trip to y'all. And then Lauren and I talked about it uh, when I came back. You know, was, uh, I told her, I was like, for the last five months, I was on a spiral down. But, you know, um, we talk about seeing, you know, like talking, like, and Lauren's been my biggest contributor for everything and it, it got to the point and it's at the point that I'm still struggling with right now because the first time that I uh, 2015 was rough for me um, that's when everything came crashing down on me all my medical diagnoses the military is like yeah we have to retire you you're no longer able to go to combat you're you're done with all that stuff so my identity for me was gone it's almost like they're saying you're worthless yeah you're I mean at the end of the day it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done for this country. You ain't doing it no more. You're a name on a whiteboard. Yep. Because once you're done, there's always going to be somebody else to come in and fill that spot. I think that there's thousands of us who feel the same way. I mean, that's why we're that's why you're here in this hotel with me <laughs> talking like this because because I know something about what you're talking about. Yeah. Just a little, you know. I mean, it's, and it's not over. The no. 15th is still coming. It is. And I'm is definitely, that yeah. That bracelet? Yeah, so these are all my friends that are uh, EOD and the years that they died. Tony's on there. And then I have him and Adam's bracelet specifically at, uh, at my house sitting on my mantle. That's pretty cool. You know, like, so I had a Vietnam guy come up to me and say, I have a bracelet too. With the, with the name on it that just means a lot to me. Yeah. Like Tony is actually this right here. That's him. Yeah. So talk about this. Talk about so, these So each one, of these, you know? each one of these stars on me. Um, so all of them are negative shaded because they're missing parts of my life. And each one of them is somebody that I watched die on the battlefield. Whether they were an EOD guy or one of my soft teammates, um, 
it was somebody that I was with that I watched die, and I have twenty six on there. And um, that's why the school they come school. into the school. Yep. So you know that's the uh, the only thing guaranteed in life is death. That's the only guarantee that we have. You will die one day. Now, how you meet that fate is completely situational dependent. It really is. Could, could I add something to that? Yeah. There's another guarantee. Taxes? No. Because <laughs> that yeah. seems to be one, too. Screw them. <laughs> it wouldn't be nice if we were tax exempt. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's not that. I said when you're alive, you're alive. If you choose to be. Well, now you're talking about the quality of life. But because that and that's when we're talking about living dead, and existing. You're still breathing. You are, but you know, and that's what we when we were talking about living and existing earlier. Because yeah. I was on this when 2015 started, I ended up going into a inpatient hospital, traumatic brain injury and PTSD hospital. Um, it's the National Trumpet Center of Excellence um, in at Walter Reed, uh, Bethesda, Maryland. It is the military TBI clinic. Yeah. Um, when it was at Walter Reed. Oh, it's still I there. There. Oh, yeah. Well, but, I mean, but when they yeah. were separated before, yeah. but that was done, and when they moved across town mm-hmm. to be together, I was there the last year in Walter Reed. That's yeah. Where I yeah. They. Uh, it's a one month thing. So the guys that I was there with were um, former. Actually, all of them that I was with were former SEALs, uh, or active SEALs at the time. I'm sorry, it was active because it's uh, it was active duty personnel coming in. And that was to help reset everything, evaluate, you know, what's going on with you. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, I was on my way out, but these guys, you know, they're still trying to be hitters, you know. And they were doing, the NICO was doing a very, very good job with the SEALs because it's just like when I get my briefings, you know. We as a military are very, very good at a lot of things. Um, and the analogy that I give guys uh, especially when I'm briefing is, you know, take when we go to, you know, everybody in the military has fired a weapon at least once. You had to qualify at least once. Um, what's the first thing you do after you get done shooting? You clean it. Why do you clean that weapon system? Because if you continually fire it and fire it and fire it, you're going to start to have carbon buildup. Parts are going to start to break down, deteriorate. And then what happens? You have to take that weapon system and either try to fix it after it's almost too far gone, or you have to replace it completely. If we do that with our weapon systems in the military, why are we not doing it with our best weapon system? Your soldier, sailor, airman, and marine. You're sending them to combat. You're firing that weapon over and over and over and over. They're coming back. They're never being cleaned. Just oh, yeah. And so, so what happens when you... This is weird, because me doing this... This does this to me. I love it that you're, that you're talking about like it's stirring up. Yeah. Because like, it, it's not a simple thing. It's not. And once you experience great loss of any kind, I mean, you don't have to be in the military, but, but part, our, the weird thing about our tribe is we're so close. Yeah. And we have our own language, we have our own food, our own clothes, our own money, our own weapons. And, and we are the ones that are 1% that keep the rest of the country running. You take the military, the army, the, the whole thing away, including the police force, and you have nothing but chaos. Yep. And when it stirs that stuff up in you, 
What do you do then? I mean, Chris, the 15th is still coming. It is. Um, you know, you try to take it day by day. I've tried to take it day by day, and I've done good for several years since 2015 because I had three suicide attempts in 2015. You know, I was done. I was, and at that time, and I guess that goes back to where we were going at with it earlier, uh, before my kids could pull me right out of it. Like, just looking at a picture of them, I was like, you know what? That's what I'm here for. But they were in the next room. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and that's what I told Lauren, I was like, it's not that point anymore, which is scary to me. It's like, it's, it's numbing. And even having my kids there, it's, I have to fight harder because my kids were in the house. That would not have been good. No. You remember that song I played? You told me you cried after a... Yeah. Um, and I had no clue of your story at all. I just played the song. Yeah. But and, the, it, um, it's about the, the after effect. I mean... It is. Uh, you know, it's like throwing a stone in a lake. You have that initial hit, but then you have the ripple effect right after. It just goes until it has nowhere else to go. And you know, I mean, you know, like I do, once you go into that deep, dark, you know, you don't see anything else. You don't think about anything else. And I was just so consumed with guilt, shame, pain, nightmares, headaches. There's just nothing right now could pull me out of it. And, and it's still, I mean, as we're sitting here speaking today, you know, it's still one of those things that I'm struggling with. You know, it's really easy to put on a mask and smile. Oh, yeah, know, yeah. It's I much easier. a lot about that. And that's what I spend, I've spent my, most of my uh, adult life, especially post-military, and even when I was still active, because you just compartmentalize things. Bury it down on a different side of your brain, just hope it doesn't come back up. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, we as human beings, um, we're all born, I believe, with a certain size cup. Some have bigger cups than others. Some can hold more. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what size cup you have. If you keep pouring into the cup and you never take time to dump some of it out, it's going to spill over and everything that it spills over and touches it affects. It's dumping out. Yeah, it's a chaplain. Total confidentiality. Top secret clearance. A lot of people talk to me. I like mm-hmm. people. <laughs> You're talking to me right now. I mean, it, you know, like I'm working on this. I'm. Um, I just had. I just had to sit down with somebody uh, last week. Another veteran who said, "Like, when was the last time you took a break?" And I said, "Well, shit. It was between when I was enlisted and when I became a chaplain." <laughs> In 2007, we went on vacation, a real break. We went on vacation for a week. Every other vacation was like we go see the family or we go. Yeah. And it's all focused around, even for you, it's probably like you got three children. So while you're in, what do you do for a vacation? It's not about you and Lauren recharging your batteries. It's about you taking care of your kids and doing something fun because they haven't seen your dad. I mean, their dad. And, and so you go somewhere like, and you told me about just going to, to Africa to hunt. Mm-hmm. Was that like? Is that does that help recharge the battery? Does that take a little bit out of the cup? You know, does that pour it out? I I, I do believe way? it does, and it's you know it's not even like doing something like that. I mean, 
dipping a little bit out of it, dumping it out, could be as easy as doing a movie night. You know, you and the whole family take the yeah. kids to go watch something they want because then it helps reset where your mindset's at. It could be a staycation, you know? It doesn't matter what it is that you do to dump out a little at a time. You so, got to do some things. So, Chris, after you got all that shit in you, mm-hmm. yeah, the weird thing about all that shit, you know, in our tribe, we keep our stories, you know, like, I'm someone under here, yeah. you know, under here, you know. And, um, nobody wants to see my belly now. <laughs> <laughs> they probably have. I've probably got it online somewhere. But the, um, the strange thing is, like, it comes back. Like, always. The shit that you overcame on Halloween night, there's a great chance that on the 15th, you Absolutely. might, you, you're gonna focus and you'll probably get through the 15th. But what about the 16th and the 17th and the 18th? Yeah. And how are you gonna, I, mean, I don't think you're gonna do it by yourself. I think you, you do it with other people. You can't do it by yourself. I mean, I think I've tried. You, I think you do it by like sharing this video so that people know, and you get them to watch it, and you get them to talk, and, and not just the video. Screw this. You go to your friends, and they know it's coming. And if we don't stay together, if we don't stay connected, like if it wasn't for the guys in my PTSD group, where I would go every single week for several years there, and we wouldn't talk about what happened back in crazy world. Yeah. When I was wearing a cool suit and doing cool stuff, and I was somebody. I talked about when I was Matt Williams sitting on the couch. What did you do this week? How did you make it through the 4th of July? Yeah. Hey, you know what we do the 4th of July? So they let Vet Church use the National Cathedral. Yeah. At 1130 at night on July 3rd to walk through the National Cathedral, do a pilgrimage through it. Yeah. Into July 4th to kind of lay some of the burdens down. Yeah. I'd love it if you were there. I tell you, you know, it's uh, July Fourth. That's that's a funny that's a funny date for me. Um, so you know, we uh, I have a lot of friends also that they struggle with, you know, like fireworks going off and things like that. Um, and I've been asked that. They're like, Chris, you know, do you do you stay away from Fourth of July? What does it do to you? I was like, nothing. You know why? Because that's for our freedom. Our independence, the things we fight for. So blow shit up all you want. <laughs> Do it all you want. Yeah. You know, it'd be different if, for me, it'd be different, you know, if it's like June 12th and then now there's all these fireworks going off. It's different. That would be a lot different. I'm prepared for July 4th. I know for an entire year, July 4th is coming. Have fun. Blow all kinds of shit up. Light up all that grass on fire. Not, not really. It happens here in New Mexico, though. Um, you know, but enjoy it, you know. But the thing for me is uh, a, lot of, a lot of times people forget why we even have 4th of July. You know, 90% of, especially this generation, don't really know what sacrifices were made to get, it. To, get to where we are today. In some ways, I'm glad they don't know. But when I see the behavior... You know what people entitlement and everything. Oh yeah, you know what people care about now, Matt? Everything within their own little bubble. Oh yeah. So you see it every day, and I I like to sit back and I like to watch. Um, So, uh, one of my closest friends, Derek Victor, 
um, I call him Fat Jesus. He saved my life three times. I was just with him this weekend. Good. Um, if it wasn't for him, then I legitimately wouldn't be here back from combat. Sometimes I'm angry at him about it because I was 100% certain that I was going to die at war. Then, you know, you have this, you know, this funeral of grandeur and all this. Like, your, your legacy is set for your generations after because of you giving the ultimate sacrifice at war. That's what was in my head. That is such a selfish way to look at it. But I was 100% prepared for that. That's what I expected to happen. Kept not dying there. Because of men like Derek Victor. And sat down and him and I have had a lot of talks. You know, and Derek's a very quiet, strong personality. You know, um, psychology degree, EOD tech. You know, so he has two different sides of the spectrum. Yeah, so anytime yeah. you're talking to him, just understand he is studying you right now. That's why I have a really weird time talking to him because I know what he's doing. I know he's, <laughs> he's evaluating me in his own head yeah. right now. You know, and Derek, I, I'm pretty sure FJ, that's why FJ for Fat, Fat Jesus. Um, I'm 100% certain that he got that so he could just see through people's bullshit. That's why he got that psychology degree. Pretty sure that's why he did it. I don't know if he'll ever admit to doing that, but, um, you know. And then when I sit down, bullshit's kept you alive. Yeah, and I'll tell you with when it comes to him, um, there's a lot of things that I struggle with, especially like days that you know, like Halloween. You know, Um, then you sit down and you really think about it. You know, or I think about it. It's like Vic put his life on the line to save mine multiple times and then when I get out of that dark space and I'm sitting there I'm like what am I doing for him you know he did everything he could risk in his life to save my life and now I'm just here willing to take my own Chris why isn't that Jesus your next door neighbor because <laughs> he lives in Florida and he doesn't like anywhere that's not warm <laughs> so and he's at the EOD, he's at EOD school right he's now he's down here Yep, he's retired. He's medically retired as well. You talk about getting effed over by the by, by the man. He's getting effed over by the man right now. I, I have a house in Baker, Florida. Yeah. Yeah, man, yeah. it's being rented right now. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, he, he's one of the guys that I, uh, when you look at people who deserve things, you know, they everybody that has, has sacrificed deserves the compensation that they earned. You know, yeah, yeah, it's not entitled. That's so you signed a paper for that. Yeah. They made us sign a lot of paper. Yeah. See, so Derek, Derek's a Purple Heart recipient. You know, he's he's my teammate. We got blown up together. Derek's had two hip replacements. He's got a fake hip. Is he gonna stay in Florida? Probably. That he's a Florida boy. Near Pensacola, there. Yeah. He but, need, I, we need to get him in touch with Dave Glassman from A Hero. Mm-hmm. Especially if he's getting oh, screwed. A Hero. That's Stuckey's. Yeah, it's Stucky's yeah. thing. How yeah. do you know about all that? <laughs> I met I met Lee. Um it the Wounded Warrior games. Really? Uh, when he was part of it for the Marine Corps. Good and times. I was the uh, I was the captain for the Air Force team. Yeah, yeah. Stucky and, uh, and Dave Glassman are the guys. Great, that run this great league. guys. 
Yep. Great guys. But yeah, um, so Vic's one of those guys. You know, you have you have guys, men and women that have played the system correctly, hundred percent disabled for very minimal things, you know. And it's it's a very touching it's a very uh touchy subject for me because I have guys like Derek, he's a purple heart recipient, two hip replacements, a lot of damage. He'll never be able to get to 100% because if you weren't at 100% to begin with, oh, yeah. it's easy to get to 90%. Well, I'm at 80. Yep. And they were like, they're, everybody's like, oh, you can go to 80. You know what? To go from there to 100, oh, it's, it's almost impossible. And here's the thing. I'll never be fixed. Yeah. What's wrong with me is wrong with me. Yep. You can't go back and fix these things. And it's okay because it becomes my new normality. And yeah. It's okay because I said it's okay. Yeah. See, and I think, and, and Vic, you know, Vic works. He's a, he's a federal employee as well. Uh, for me, the thing that's the hardest for me and makes me the most angry is because it's, it's not only things for him, but it's the doors that, from what he's already sacrificed, the doors that it would open for his family, for care, for things like that. No, I know. Like you for, know? For Kate. Yeah. Sitting right here. So he's, he's having to, he has to work. I mean, he has to work. And it is an, absolute travesty that that has had to happen to him and it's happening to so many others you know oh it's, but you're right it's like we were talking earlier it's across the board yeah i mean it's like it doesn't matter if you're navy marines army coast guard well, air force it, it's the insurance adjustment group called the va yeah. What do insurance adjusters do? They try to get away with giving you the least amount of possible. Yeah, that's true. Because shit, man, we got to spend that money somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're on a little personal piggy bank. So, but you know, and it's a, it's just, it's a frustrating thing for me, um, because I see things that you know these guys have to struggle with, and men and women they got to struggle with, you know, and especially with Vic, you know, he's one of my best friends, so. And I, I owe him everything. And when we're done, give me Fat Jesus' stuff because I'm going to be back there next Sunday. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, um, it, like, but go back. Let's go back real quick. So we started talking about emptying the cup a little bit. Yep. And that's, you know, Fat Jesus has helped you empty the cup. Dave yes. Knight has helped you empty the cup. Yep. And the cup keeps fucking refilling, man. I it mean, does. You know what fills the cup up? Which is why you need to be dumping your cup up. It's not only stuff you deal with, it's also everything that you're pouring in from other people. Yeah. Which is why you need to take time, you need to dump your cup out. Well, and that's why I started to tell you, like, we're taking the month of January, and I'm not doing anything. Good. I got a buddy in Central Florida finding me a place. I'm going there. I'll do vet church on the Sunday part, and the rest of that's just going to be what people add, because I'm not, I'm probably not even going to look at it. Yeah. I'm going to do my Sunday thing because I'm still a chaplain. And for me, to break the bread, and last night it was a cookie and something else <laughs> at the table here, but th that's how I can still connect to, yeah. to not just the God I believe in, but the self that I believe the God made. And it helps me because you're right. When people give you and they tell you about your story, I'm taking a piece of you with me. Yeah. Like a, piece of Chris becomes Matt and it's not it's not all good yeah like 
when the 15th comes around, I'm going to think about you. And, yep. you know, you know, like not just you, but think about your kids and your yeah. wife. I mean, look what Lauren's going through. I mean, that's something that thousands and thousands and thousands of people don't realize is that there's a whole cast of folks. Some are called officially caregivers or caretakers where they get a little bit of money from yep. the VA. But most caretakers, most caregivers, they don't get nothing. Yep. They get up in the morning and they look at us and they say a prayer under their breath and they say, I love you. And they give you a hug and they put up with all the shit that comes out of us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's weird. And then we become caretakers for each other. Like, Fat Jesus is your yeah. caretaker, and someday you'll be his caretaker. And probably not. He's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't be his caregiver. He's an asshole, but I love him. Is he married? He is, and he has kids. Awesome. Yeah, and I tell you, he's a he's a very balanced person. He's a very very balanced person, and. uh He's a, you know, for the lack of a better term, you know, talk about people being rocks and he is as steadfast as it comes, you know, um, he has his struggles just like we all do. He just, he is so much better at handling his, uh, his demons, I guess. At least that's what he showed you. It is. That's what he showed me. Cause I think all of us, you know, one of the, the greatest things is. What you see is what we're sharing with you. True. That's what we're doing. We're sharing with people. It's just like a date. I think about this crap. I watch it happen all the time. People get dressed up and put on all this makeup and stuff that they never wear like 90% of the time. Yep. To go on a date with somebody that they're going to invest the rest of their future in. What a, what a tragedy. Like, be yourself and go be authentic, be real. Yeah. And and it's hard because even trying to be real, trying to be authentic right now, like we've talked about some pretty heavy shit. And yet, there's still stuff behind that. Yeah. We didn't sit down and dig into what happened to get you to Halloween night. No. We did hear that somehow something woke your son. Something woke your son. Like terrors, or maybe just God saying, hey, the only thing I can do to stop you right now is to bring you back to your child that you love. I, I don't know. Yeah, it was just a, it was a weird chain of events that night. And then it was right before I was coming to see you guys for the first time. At the Concert of Light. Mm -hmm. We're doing another one of those this Saturday. It's awesome. They freak me out, man. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, right on that music. And you heard a little bit of I it. I did. And, and it's, it's, all my stuff is just about us. Yeah. It's, it's not all of it, but 90% of yeah. it is just about us. And, and that pain and, and the struggle and the greatness of having been involved in this nation. Like you said, freedom. Yeah. I mean, this is the greatest country in the world. I agree. I've been to some real crappy ones where people are struggling and they just want to come over here. I don't blame them one bit. Nope. 
I want to come over here too. I couldn't wait to get back, man. Yeah. Every single trip I took, I couldn't wait to get back here. You know, it's funny because for the longest time, this was uh, this was only a portion of my life, like the states. So I've been writing a book for a shit a long time now, like four years, five years, what's two thousand eighteen? Four years, and um, it's a uh, it's called Home Isn't Really Home. Um, and it's still continuous, you know. What do you mean by that? So this was the place that I came to reset. Home to me wasn't here. Home to me was there on some foreign dirt. I hated coming home. Even, Even though Lauren was here and the kids were here. This wasn't home to me. Yeah. This was a place to reset. This was my downtime before I got to go back home. Because the only thing I cared about was war. It's the only thing I wanted. I think it's the only thing you can care about at the time and be real. You can't be a warrior and be thinking about video games and Walmart and bills, life, yeah, the, problems. The car breaks down. You know, that shit doesn't about. matter. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's something that a lot of people don't recognize. The war fighter is the ones that are good. Or the ones that are alive, either way, the way you want to look at it, have focused on war. Yeah. And and if they have a family, all that becomes secondary. And it was, that, absolutely was. That was my piece was out there, you know. And it's like no matter how many times you know or how long I was home, there's always like even as we're talking right now, there's pieces of me that yearn to be out there, you know. Um, you know, and I catch myself. All the time, looking at contract jobs out there. Oh, my, my drummer went and took one on that, that album. I'll make yeah. sure you get a copy of it. <laughs> he lasted six months. <laughs> he came back from Afghanistan. It was like, of course, his, whatever that ID did to him, it, it was the physical aspect that brought yeah. Dan back. And, and he, at least he bought a boat. Yeah. cash when he came back and he bought his fishing boat you know it's awesome see and that's how I tried to sell it to the family it's like you know I'm like you know the job offers 22000 a month you know well what's the job uh, EOD advisor EOD advisor to what what would you be doing <laughs> advising you know you're trying to keep it as um, nondescript as possible yeah you know but you know it's a it's job description is you're out there and you're you know you're doing things with the teams as a civilian. And, um, you know, you try to throw the money thing in there to see, you know, will there be a bite on the line? No, never a bite on the line. It's like, nope, you're not going. They've decided to love Chris. Which to me is a really shitty thing. I honestly believe that. And I tell them all the time, like, I'm not deserving of a great family. I'm, I'm really not. I'm not deserving of a great friend. I've done some really evil things in my life. And, um, you know, and I will be judged for him. I will be. 100% I'll be judged for him. And, um, and I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in um, my shortcomings. Um, that's why I was... Uh, I was pretty unhappy that I never died in country. I really was. Because then I wouldn't have to deal with life. 
and actually having to try to be someone that I was not, you know, which is a family man, a friend. I wasn't that person. I didn't need to be. A real lover. On paper, I was. But to me, the only thing that I cared about was war. So then it all stops. Now I'm here. What am I supposed to do? So I'm not proselytizing, converting, Mm -hmm. missionary and that shit, okay? I just don't believe in that shit. But I do believe in being honest about who we are. And when you say that, I want to say something about what I believe. Because I believe that this idea of Jesus, Uh not necessarily fat Jesus, but it sounds like he is a representation (laughs) of of Jesus. The idea is that because I've done some shitty shit too, can't be a chaplain and do what I did without helping people do shitty shit. (laughs) Yeah. Right? I mean, like, how do you get through that shit? Yeah. Why do I have a doctor degree? Well, it's to help you do the shit you did. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, um, so, so the, my concept of faith and idea of belief is that you won't be judged if you have this relationship with Christ because Christ took the judgment. I mean, when we do the cross, you know, that's yeah. not fucking torture, dude. Yeah. I mean, like, that's what it's about. It's about torturing an individual just to watch him scream. Yeah. And, for for my for my, I'm over here and you know this idea of Christianity, which I I don't I don't, I don't I'm not part of a big corporation church name. I'm still affiliated a little bit, but Vet Church ain't about that. Yeah, Vet Church is about this because what I think is the holiness of the story and the holiness of a story of God that says you're not going to be judged because I took the judgment. The cross was about you're fucking around down here. Yeah. Now, I, you you have if this God is real, that has to. I can't give you that. I can't coerce you into it. I can't do any of that shit. And the people that do that, fuck them. Because I officially said yeah. that. But <laughs> like, I mean, because it's wrong. Because then that's not real. That's why I pulled myself away from religion. Like I st- I still struggle with religion, Matt, badly. I struggle, you know, and I don't put it on my family at all because. They, it's unfair for me to put my thoughts and my struggles onto them because they haven't, they didn't go through what I did to put me in the place that I'm at. You know, I grew up a Christian, grew up a Christian in church every Sunday, sometimes on Wednesdays, mainly on Sundays. And um, I started questioning a lot the more and more people that I watched die, good, good men die in horrific ways when evil men were still living and it started making me question like how can you take this man who has eight kids including one he's never met and the only thing that he wants to do out here in this country is help build the infrastructure he didn't want to kill anybody watched him burn alive inside of a vehicle listen to him pray on the radio and, and the person that killed him is fucking a little boy mm-hmm and having, having, I even like, I, I don't know how you do that. No, I do, because I've been over there. <laughs> and it's funny you you talk about the people that try to 
You know, I came back. I came back and talked to chaplains. You know what they told me? It's all part of God's plan. That's bullshit. It's like bullshit, bro. So you're telling me that your God, you know, Jesus, all of this stuff. I was like, that part of his plan was to take a devout Christian, father of eight, leave his wife a widow, and his children without a father in the worst possible way to die because it's part of his plan to make him suffer that way. And to make you like, listen to it I was like, I as, don't, his, as his habit. And I was like, I don't buy that. He's like, it's part of his plan. I was like, it's a cop-out. You is. telling me that is a cop-out. You it, have nothing to tell me. If I was to tell you, I would say that God wept because it's a fucked-up situation. You know, good, and I don't even know how that works. I had a good friend. I have a good friend of mine that told me because he, uh, he struggles with the same things that I do. And he's like, Chris, you know the relationship that I have? It's just between me and whoever it is that I'm talking to. He's like, I sit in church. He was like, it's nothing to do with what that preacher has to tell me. It's nothing to do with what's going on in the congregation. It's me wanting to have my own relationship with whoever it is that I'm trying to have that relationship with, that higher power. He was like, men are fallible creatures. He's like, we are. And stupid, as he pointed out earlier. <laughs> He was like, and, and he explained to me one night, and we were drinking some scotch, and he was like, you can't believe in the words of men. He was like, because you have them that they twist it to fit their own agenda. He's like, even within the religious community. Not even, especially. Come on, man. You drove around this country. Yeah. You see them motherfucking buildings we have? Yeah. I mean, there's multi-billion dollar buildings, and there's people living... On the street. That is a fact. That is a fact. And most of them don't let those people from the streets inside the building to sleep there overnight. I've seen so many of that. I've oh, seen yeah. so many. In the freezing cold. Uh-huh. And, and Sitting outside the doors of a church that are locked with chains. Yeah, buddy. So what are you telling people? You know, so that's, that's where I struggle at. With my religion, you know, and it's the same thing. Religion is just like my everyday life is I have to take it day at a time and I have to find my peace with one thing at a time to try to piece back together what I was. Because all it is is I have this shattered glass and what happens when that happens is you got the people behind you picking up the pieces to try to help you put it back together. But if you keep walking away, all they're doing is carrying all your little pieces. And that's what it is for me right now. Have you done what your friend's done? In the fact, or in the uh, statement of, I'm not listening to that guy. I'm talking to God. I went there to church with them. My family and I with their family. And it was the first time I stepped church in 15 years. And... I went and I got saved that day. And then when I sat down, and it had nothing to do with anybody there, not a single person there, and they pulled me into this room afterwards. And, you know, they're all, everybody's crying and stuff like that. And they're like, you know, Chris, 
why are you here? You know, and tell me your struggles. And I looked at the preacher and I was like, I'm not here for you. And then it, I think it caught him off guard because now they're all like staring at me. I was like, I'm here for none of you. I didn't do that for any of you. I don't need your affirmation. Yeah. I didn't do that for you. Because that's shallow. I was like, I did that for me. I was like, I don't need any acceptance from you. And I'm sitting here in their little room. I was like, I don't need to hear from any of you. I don't need to talk to any of you again. I was like, I'm not here for any of you. I was like, because it's a big show. I was like, it's a big show. I mean, the church is a huge church. You know, giant band, you know, big TVs. And, you know, it's a huge church. In a scope of things, it's, uh, it's you know, a modern miracle of how it is. Then you think about how much money is actually filtered into that place. And it's like, I told them, I was like, I'm not here for any of you at all. I'm here for me trying to find my own peace. That's what's real. And that's what he asked me. He's like, why, what, what made you do that? I was like, cause I'm tired yeah. and I want peace. And it's something I still don't have. And it may be something I never have. I don't know. You know, it's, uh, as each day goes by, we'll see how it goes. Well, I want you to know that if another Halloween comes along and you pull the trigger, now, you know, this is serious, you know, like, I mean, like, I, I think about it, because, shit, I could do it. You can say it's off the table, but, like, this is our culture. Yeah. I mean, we're, what time is it now, Kate? 106. It's 106. 11 people in our culture and our tribe have committed suicide today. Mm-hmm. We're not any better than they are. And if it comes along with that, like, everything in me hopes. And then that whole idea of faith for me is like Christ is on the other side. Yeah. And then I don't stand judgment because I can couldn't be I mean like you can't withstand nobody can yeah I mean like real judgment like most people talk about judgment they don't have a fucking clue I mean they don't have a clue they don't know about death they don't know about pain they don't know about suffering especially suffering between your ears yeah and in in, in here in your heart and I think you do I think you do just from the stories you told me a couple of seconds. But before that even, I saw your hand. I see the perpetual arrow. I mean, it's, 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 Chris, our whole tribe's in crisis, man. Yeah. How many deployments did you say again? Five. How many months? Yeah, it's like 30 upper 30s total just five deployments just one deployment would have been enough yeah I mean in, in reality like we've been in war 18 years man we have we're always gonna be at war and that's the one thing about this world there will always be another war oh yeah man because people want money mm-hmm. and well and then and the other thing is people want freedom and young men and women are always going to die for old men's arguments. And, and, and it's not Afghanistan. It's the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when I, I 
I think about that, and you were in Iraq all the time, and I flew around Iraq, combat stress control chaplain there near the end in 2012 for four and a half, five months, I don't know. It wasn't long. It wasn't a long deployment. Because thankfully somebody said, let's get out of there. Of course, yeah. you know, are we out of there? But, <laughs> you know as well as I do, religion's controlling that place. Yep. Religion's controlling this place. Men want to be in control of other men. It's a very sad thing. You know, I think that's where I struggle at now. I mean, you know, when you watch the life of somebody leave their eyes, whether it's someone whose life was taken from someone else or someone's life that you've taken yourself, when you watch it at the end of it, I mean, it's, it's an unnatural act. It's an unnatural act to take someone else's life. Oh, yeah, it, it really is. Sense. You know, um, but then when you sit on that side of it, like the person you see sitting in front of you um, is not the same person that I see in the mirror. You know, you have a, especially like when I was, you know, in dress blues and you look good and then people see you in that, like, oh man, that's, that's not the same person I see. Because at the end of the day, <clears throat> as time has gone on, more deployments, more battles, more fights. You're sent to destroy monsters. Or what we perceive as monsters. What we have ascribed mm -hmm. to be. We've interpreted what their lifestyle yeah. is as monsters. Well, as you go along and you take life after life after life, and it goes from doing it for the betterment of your teammates, the country, whatever it ends up being, and then you get to the point that you start enjoying it. You start liking it. You start craving it. So the person I see in the mirror is not the same person that you see. No matter how many lives we take, if we were to take all of them and kill all of them, what I see in the mirror is there's still one there because I've become that person. You are the enemy, is what you're saying. You know, you, you became that that you were trying to take out. And... At the end of the day, there's always still going to be that one there. And um, that's a struggle that I still fight with. Because I don't like me. You know, you would think I would, you know, got, a, got everything I need, but I don't like the person that I am. You know, it's easy to put on a smile and to try to make everything okay. But. I still struggle with whether I like me or not. And most days, more often than not, I don't because I know what's going through my head. I know what's filling that space. And most of them are not good things. You know, but you try to combat it as much as you can, but you still get reeled into that. And it's a, it's, you know, it's a hard and heavy thing, you know. And it's just this weight that drags you down, you know, and you have to find something to grab onto. You have to find a new why. You know, Chris, I wish that I had an answer for you. I do. I never tell anybody. I've sat with a lot of you folks that have. Most of it not on a camera. <laughs> but... You know, like you speak for a lot of people. You're not the only one I've heard say almost the exact same thing about the mirror. And 
can't tell you that Christ would take that from you. From from my perspective of reading that book, believing in this man, God, who goes and lays on a cross, didn't say it's going to be okay, man. What it says is it'll work out in the end. And that you are a man of worth and you have value and you're made in the image of God. And at the same time, you can't redeem yourself. I don't think there's anything Chris can do to change Chris. And, and, I, and I think you talk about trying to grab on. I think your greatest hope lies in the fact that maybe Christ grabs onto you and the people around you, like Lauren, your kids, your friends, in fact, Jesus, father-in-law, mother-in-law, whoever it is, man. I think that's who Christ uses to grab onto you and care for you. I think, you know, like we talked about, why, why do this shit? Yeah. Why do it at all? I mean, so all we're doing really is exposing ourselves. I mean, I'm showing people what this kind of a chaplain does. Because there's the kind that you just described that had this great answer for you. You're the first chaplain that I've talked to in, let's see, since 2000, 2010. Why would you talk to a chaplain? I don't like them. I don't trust them. Well, the ones why I never talked to them. Talked to had a cliched bullshit answer. Yep. God wanted that. Really? Yeah. That's just. I mean, like, it, it's contrary to everything in the book. Like, I, we're listening to Shogun. You ever read this book? Mm-mm. Oh man. I tell you what. I hear Shogun, and I think about like. The Japanese steakhouse. Right downtown. That's we almost I, ate there last that's night. What, that's what <laughs> I think about. So check this out. There's a book. It's about Shogun. It's, it's, it's about Japan. Just if you, you go get it on Audible so you can just listen to it, mm-hmm. which is what we're doing as we're driving around. It's, it's big like this. When I, was, I started reading when I was a kid, because they say words like fuck, and yep. they talk about all kinds of sex and killing people and chopping them up in little pieces. Because yep. this has been going on since the dawn of time. Yep. Um, so I'm thinking about this book and we're, we're listening to this book and one of the things in it is there's a critique because they got the Portuguese missionaries who went mm-hmm. to Japan and the samurai fucking hated them guys right but they brought them silk <laughs> so you like the silks you know yeah. there's this car, you know like they were doing business with China you know and the yeah. Japanese were like well we like that we like that Chinese silk and the Portuguese are in. Yeah. So, um, and it was the priest, you know? And, and this one guy, like in the book, we were just listening to this one point, he says, you know the problem with Christianity is all these people are weak. This Jesus guy is weak, weak-minded, doesn't believe in killing, he only believes in love. So we'll manipulate those motherfuckers. What's the guy's name, Kate? The main... Blackthorn? No, Blackthorn. Blackthorn. We'll manipulate him because he's the leader of this small group of pilots. Or he was the pilot of the ship, so he's their yeah. leader, you know, because the pilot knows how to get, the, not the captain, the pilot knows how to get the ship to there. And um, we can manipulate him because Jesus only talks about love, 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 love your enemy. <laughs> huh. You love the enemy. Yeah. When that, that's a new perspective for you and I. Because when you look in the mirror, if you've become the enemy, how do you not love the enemy? And and I don't have an answer for you, right? Like, like you've went down, you've talked to Christ. 
And Christ just didn't take this away from you. This burden wasn't removed. Yep. I mean, shit, we're talking about stuff that happened days ago. Yeah. As if, you know, a couple of days ago, but it could have been 14 years ago. It doesn't totally take away what you did. Yeah. It'll never remove the screams of your friend, his prayers going crazy. I'm sitting in the Alzheimer's unit up in the Pikes Peak Care Center or whatever. I came down there and took my guitar. I had nothing to do one day. I said, I want to go play. Because I need to play for me. Yeah. Like, I'm not lying. You've seen me play. I'm not playing for you. Yep. (laughs) I'm playing for me. Yeah. (laughs) And so I go down there in the Alzheimer's unit and I'm playing. And this one lady's just screaming the whole time, you know. Like, I don't know what. Um, have you ever been on Alzheimer's unit? I haven't. Um, it's not cool, dude. I don't think. I don't think it would be. The, the people who people are there. Yeah. They come and the people don't recognize. It's horrible, man. Like it's it's fucking awful. It's like if you went home today and your son, who's on his birthday, this wonderful child, like everything pure that you don't feel you are anymore. Yeah. Doc wants to see you again. <laughs> Come on, Papa. So, it's it's like the heat, they don't recognize you anymore, you know. And so this lady's crying out the whole time, just crying and crying and crying and screaming. And they go over and somebody brings her a little doll, puts it in her lap, and she pets the doll for a few minutes. And she's just holding it. It's a doll. And she's, would you like to hold my baby? It's not a real baby, of course. And she's screaming, man, and I'm playing this guitar. And to me, now you saw me playing for a couple hundred people. Yeah. It was a big night. It, it was, was pretty awesome. It man. was really awesome. But to play in front of that lady, man, it meant more to me. And, and I don't know, I, I think it's because of who we are. Yeah. Like, look at her suffering. And the other lady dancing around, you know, the little walker thing. I mean, Chris, I wish, I wish... I wish, like, I could tell you that, like, it'll be okay. But I can't. I can't tell you that Halloween didn't come again because them motherfucking merchants are making money and Halloween is on its way. And December 15th is on its way. And not only that, you got your kids. They're growing. They are. And that dichotomy, that stretch between the warfighter and the guy that gets to come home and mow the backyard. It's your lot, buddy. Yeah. I mean, and it's not just me and you. It's a bunch of y'all, too. It's just what it is, right? Yeah. And, like, you talk about courage, man. It takes a lot of courage to share this. Because cause this is harder, I think. Definitely. Then the walking out of the house with your A and B bag. Definitely. This is harder. This is harder to sit here because talk about storing it up. I haven't done you any favors today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have in a way. Yeah. Because I'm letting you share with the rest of the tribe you're not alone. Yeah. I mean, we are. I mean, it's, it's not like I'm letting you. You're doing it. Like, yeah. I just woke up one day and somebody said, Hey, asshole, you're still a chaplain. Did I tell you the story how I got started yep. and stuff? Yeah. Asshole, you're singing my songs. <laughs> yeah. 
and, and I'll, like, and it's, and it's weird in this in this tribe. Like when somebody says you know something nice and kind, they usually call you an asshole or something at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, and it, it, it's like, you know, what this guy said to me once. He said, "You're kind of a missionary." Of course, that made me want to throw up. You know, like, <laughs> find a first trash can yeah. wretch. And I'm not I'm not necessarily a missionary, but I got a mission. Cause, cause today, your kids can hear. Maybe they may not be watching today. You know, they're a little yeah. young for this. Yeah. But hopefully, this goes. Cause, like, what if we'd had this? Check this out, Gettysburg. You know the place, right? I do. Like our whole nation's at war. So they go and they pick up the rifles of all the dead people after this battle. One battle. And I might screw up the numbers. I'm not an accountant, okay? And I only heard this talked about by two two different times. So, like, I'm going off of memories, which Mephlequin took <laughs> a little bit of my memory, you know? And when, even when I play, I have to have the words down there, you know? So, um, they said that they after the battle, they picked up, like, say it's 24,000 rifles. Of the 24,000 rifles, 17 of them were still loaded. Because, like you said earlier, it's unnatural to kill another person. Yeah. It's not natural. It's what Cain did to Abel at the, big, at the beginning, you know? Like, <laughs> holy shit moment, you know? <laughs> and not only that, but you've been paid to do it, and trained to do it, and conditioned to do it over and over again. Five deployments. Like, if, if the only reason you're here... Is because they thought, well, he's hurt enough that if he goes back over there, somebody else is going to get hurt because of his injury. That's the only reason you're here. Like, I mean, it's, you know, that's what they do with us. Yeah. And so, of the 17,000 that were loaded, they said that 9,000 of them were loaded at least twice. And they said that, I I don't know the number on this one, but there's a whole bunch of that 9,000 that were loaded three and four times. Because what happened, remember back then, they had to stick the ball down there and they they ram it down in the thing and put powder down here and stick the ball down. And those guys were like, I'm not going to fucking kill anybody. I'm not going to do it. Army got smart. They started using crazy words like raghead and some others that I'm not even going to repeat. Yeah. And they made the targets into human targets. And I've shot the human yeah. targets, and you've went beyond that. And, and you know, when I was, I was enlisted before, I became a chaplain. And, and, um, and I promise you that I don't envy you one bit. I don't, I don't envy the fact that I became a chaplain and I bear witness to you and to, to your friends. Because, like, what you did and what you're doing now, living. Whew. Chris. It's not easy, man. Yeah. Let's do something. Let's, 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 let's not end in the pit. Because right. there's a lot of darkness. There is. And, and, you know, like, you, know, you asked me about this, and I told you I want real hard to bring light. I want to share some light with people. So, we've talked about the bad stuff. Is every day bad for you 24 hours a day? No. What do you do for fun? 
shoot dove. I really enjoy that. Do you really? I do. And then I feed one to my, I will always uh, give one to my golden retriever. Yeah. And he runs around like he did it himself. <laughs> so, yeah, the boys like doing it with me. Yeah. So, um, and just in general, being being with uh, the kids, you know, my daughter's getting older, so she's super in touch with her feelings now, like, and she's very hyper aware of everything. So... That's that's big for me because I spent so much time away. Well, I hope I hope that that's the hand of Christ loving you. Yeah, you know, because it, 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 it is fun. Like when I first met you, you're like pulling out these pictures of all <laughs> these hunting stuff, and I think Matt was showing you pictures of fish, right? Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah. Matt was showing pictures of fish, and you were showing me the pictures, of, and and like I remember standing there with you guys thinking. This is why groups like A Hero work. Yeah. Like, it, the good things from the, uh, there's a couple of big groups that, like, screwed us on our money. But they, <laughs> yeah. were, they were given money to care for our yep. tribe, and they did it. Yeah. But, you know, um, so like, we hear a lot about people going hunting and fishing, and I think it's good because sometimes folks have the shade shut. And it, my drummer said he came in a group one time, and, John, John kind of redeemed me because before I even went to the PTSD thing where I played that music and the guy called me an asshole for not playing more music. Um, before that happened, John asked me to come over to his house and he, you know, we played music for hours and hours and days. And then John started opening up the shades at his house and letting me light in. Yeah. And, and it, it blew my mind. Like he told me that. I was like, what? And, um, and, you know, it's like they're not in the room with us. The Fat Jesus is here. John Kroll's here. Dan Blevins is here. Dave Glassman of A Heroes here. Those guys have helped, and they're helping it. And, like, it, it, it does help. And it may only feel like it's helping this much because you and I both know the other stuff's out there. You know, at the end of the day, even if it only helps one person, it's not just one person that's being helped because there's a ripple effect from that. Yeah, man. Yeah, the negative has a ripple effect, and the positive does too. Yeah. I drove by a billboard that says, compliments are contagious. Give one. <laughs> like, it's funny because I drove by one that said, tacos are contagious. <laughs> it's it funny you said that. Tacos <laughs> are contagious. They are too. They are. <laughs> We've gone an hour and 40 minutes. Um, it doesn't seem like it. No, it doesn't. Well, somebody asked me once, why don't you, why don't you talk about football and stuff more? <laughs> it's kind of obvious, right? Because yeah. <laughs> um, football's good. It is. It's, it, it, um, all that stuff is good stuff where people are connected and they feel passionate and powerful even though they're just watching on TV yeah. I mean <laughs> but there's good stuff in life definitely you got a big big day plan for this big birthday party coming up and I gotta go to work tonight I'm like oh are you working tonight I do I do I'm on the midnight shift this week oh shit my, my favorites 
and you just you just woke up and you flew all night and drove yep. the rest of the night. Yep. Yeah, I love how he's like. I love how he uh, he's like he's dancing on my leg. <laughs> yep, but that's you know it goes back to what we talked about. You know, you gotta, you know, especially when you have kids, you gotta. They have to know that, you know, you're still out there doing stuff for them. So, and you know, like I said, you know, working is not only for me, but it's also to give them opportunity, opportunities that I didn't have. So. Why did you do this with me? Because you asked me to, and I trusted you. Because normally I say no. You still feel good about me sharing this? I do. You sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. I do. I mean, I'll rip it, man. You, <laughs> you change your mind, this shit goes away. No need to. Okay. No need to. I, I, there's a couple of pieces I would like to, like, I'm going to do a, in February, I'm going to sit down in front of the computer. I took my GI Bill, I told you I got student loans, like yeah. 60K still. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I do, I'm not, I, I pay my student loans. I'm still, like, I'm yeah. on a plan, but I'm not default. You know? Yeah. I don't believe in that. I'm like, you it's just like, dude, you can have your word when you got it. Yeah. And uh, I went, I went and took my GI Bill money. That's how I pay for this stuff in the beginning because they give you fifteen hundred bucks a month. Yeah. So I was like, "Well, shit, we don't need that, so I'll use it." And so I did. And uh, we drove around the country at fifteen hundred dollars a month. <laughs> and um, I learned how to do uh, the audio, the yeah. film. I can I can do some stuff in Premiere Pro, which is a manipulation of film. Like yep. I'm going to take some of these things. I'm going to make a little film, and I'd like to take a little snippet or two and put in there about Fed Church, like. It won't be the religious, yeah, yeah of course. Say, but um, but some of the stuff you said about, it. yeah, of course, anything you need, dude. I don't know that I need it, but I think our tribe needs it. And you know, I I feel like you some days. You know, I've got a medical marijuana card, and we don't have kids. See, you, you talk about like you have a dynamic for living yeah. that I was struggling to find. Yeah. I remember printing out a picture of a Porsche and bringing it to Kate and being like, here's our entire, like, well, here's the people you got to call because they're going to pay you. <laughs> and then here's the Porsche I want you to buy to remember me by. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, get that shit out of here. <laughs> like, it, it, that was a bad, it was a rough time, man. Yeah. I don't know if it was bad, but it was, it was fucked up. Yep. And I, and, I, and I think, you know, now looking at it, I think the hand of God was working through her to pull my ass because I couldn't grab on at all. Good thing you did. Yeah. Good thing you did too, man. You want to say anything about the perpetual arrow? What's that? You want to say anything about the perpetual arrow? <laughs> so that, um, so obviously on there it's, uh, it has Ohana, which means family. You know, and with that, you know, you have to find that direction. The direction's always going to come back, you know, but you have to still keep moving forward. I hope you see that these other veterans, our tribe, we're failing, man. You ain't the only one. There's a bunch of us out there. Every city, every little town. That is a fact. All right. Anything else you want to say at the end of this? No, I appreciate everybody taking the time uh, to... To listen, you know, and to be here, and thank y'all, you know, for having me. It's been an honor.
spent an hour to come down here, man. I'm glad you made. I'm glad. Like you made it in time. <laughs> well, and, I, and I'm glad that like you took time out of your schedule, dude. Of course. I mean, thank you, and thank y'all for listening. Um, you can add anybody you want to in that church. Okay. Now that you're in this, sounds um, good. Um, that goes for everybody. If you want to just add folks, the people that are, don't belong, they'll leave. I mean, it's a, it's a closed group, you know, for a purpose. And then um, the podcast is out there because I really think that if these stories have been told after the Civil War, after Gettysburg, the people that actually made it through that shit, I don't know that we'd have spent all that time in Vietnam. Yeah. I don't know that we'd have spent all that time in Afghanistan right now. Anyway, thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.